Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective and Kunza from Sundown Private Wealth. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Nick, nice to have you in the studio. Graham, uh, good to see you there on the screen. Graham, if I start with you uh, tonight, um, not a bad day for the market overall. The RAND managing to claw its way back from the brink. Um, but I was looking at a couple of headlines suggesting that emerging markets are in for a bit of a torrid time, um, particularly as, as money flows back into the US dollar. Do you think, do you get that sense? Um, I'm not entirely sure um, I agree with that. I think a lot of people, myself included, are, are of the view that, um, you know, the US is not entirely out of the woods. You can understand people saying, well, you know, relative to the US or elsewhere in the world, you're getting decent yields, relatively speaking, still negative, considering what inflation is doing. But I think a lot of people, myself included, feel that there's a little bit too much optimism. I think we're underestimating the impact of of earnings and probably um, also of the view, um, and tomorrow I think will give us a clue that maybe, you know, the Fed is going to start tapping the brakes and not be so aggressive on, on rates. I think We'll, we'll see whether that plays out. But more importantly, I think people are assuming that uh, earnings are going to uh, surprise on the upside as they've done, you know, balance of arguments for the last few years now. So I think, Julieta, we, we're in a very sort of unpredictable phase. Mm -hmm. um, what I would argue is that if you look at the South African market, for example, there's actually quite good value. Um, you know, quite a few companies like our commodity stocks are going to show negative earnings growth. But even when you you pen in those sort of new lower earnings numbers, they, they're not looking expensive. So yeah, I understand the, the headlines are sort of predicting um, a little bit of a sell-off in emerging markets, but arguably the US has actually maybe run ahead of itself. So I, I don't necessarily agree with that view. I mean, Nick, you could see it in, for example, Hudeco. Um, uh, Certainly, in the results that they came out with recently, and then today they they just they they put out a sense statement with regards to the amount of shares that they had bought back, mm. which lifted the share share price again. And actually, if you look at the chart of Hudeco over three years, it's done amazingly well since I guess the depths of the pandemic. But I mean, that would go to Graham's argument that this is a um, it it was sort of an undervalued SA Inc stock that no one maybe wanted to be around, but actually it's done really well and it's buying its own shares back. So which is a mark of confidence. And I guess um, they think that's the best deployment for their mm. capital. So we should probably t sit up and take notice too. Yeah, I agree with all above. And I agree with what Graham said as well. On a pure relative play, you know, SA and SA Inc., if you strip out the dual listed, is actually looking quite relatively cheap uh, on, on, a, on a relative basis. And um, I think also just to add as well that, that the, the South African... The JSC all share in the the components that are that make up the sort of uh, uh, the sort of emerging market basket for MSCI has gone from you know a couple of decades ago we were close to ten percent weighting we're now one percent weighting so I think a lot of you know we're, we're not we don't move the needle anymore on the merge unfortunately I mean on the emerging market scale but on the plus side to that is I think there's a lot of shares that are that go that go unnoticed because they're, they're not on the radar of international investors but if you actually drill down strip away the lasers a little bit I think it's some good value and your your Kate and point to Hideka they can't find value elsewhere uh, they think their shares run the value and they're buying them and I think it's quite a good story so I think for some diligent investors out there who can do their homework there's some value on our market. Yeah. Graham, just on to Deco, what did you? Th um, I mean, what do you think of the share price at the moment? Because they have done pretty well. Um, 
you know, there are. This is a defensive stock, you could you could say, because they've kind of weathered a really bad time in the South African economy, and they're doing okay, and they've they don't have um, too much debt. They've got cash. Their businesses are growing. Um, is it something that you would be interested in buying? And, and does it encourage you to see um, share buybacks from from such sort of old-fashioned industrial companies on the JSE? Yeah, you know, Juliet, I think um, out of everything you're saying, the buybacks are the thing that I think appeal most to me. Um, obviously, you know, if you look over a, a five-year view, it's it's almost exactly where it was, um, you know, uh, early in 2018. Yeah. So like so much of the South African industrial and financial board hasn't really done much, but it's, you know, from those sort of depths of despair around um, sort of May or well, April, May of, of 2020, it's recovered very, very nicely. But I think to your point, Julieta, that a lot of, you know, there's this view that, you know, when when times are tough and you've got load shedding, et cetera, that, you know, all South African companies are going to be equally hit. And I think companies like Hyundai um, and Argent, which is another one that's been buying back, and actually quite a few companies have been buying back, um, they just sort of get on with their with their business, mm. um, you know. And I, <clears throat> I look for example at the retail sector, which if you if you think of anybody that could really be hurt by by load shedding and the mismanagement of the economy and some of the the SA Inc challenges we face, you know, look, companies like TFG and others have actually installed over seventy percent or, or you know uh, battery power or, or, or um, alternative energy sources so that. 70% plus of, of, of sales is now uh, defended. And, and of course, the food retailers even more so. Mm. So I'm rambling on a little bit, but I think companies like Udeco, I think Udeco's got a blend of def defensive businesses and maybe slightly less uh, defensive, maybe more more exciting businesses. So yeah, when, when we see companies buying back shares, we, we really are encouraged. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I think Udeco's one Argent um, is another one that um, that's been consistently uh, buying into thin volumes. You know, mm. are you talking about the retail sector? Um, there's a question that's come through on Mr. Price, um, mm. and the viewer says, "I'd like to get the panel's view on Mr. Price shares. It's been on; uh, they've been on a steady decline for the last year or so, even after some good results." Okay, well, the results weren't that good. Mm. I mean, on on a, on a superficial level, maybe they did look good, but they were boosted by acquisitions. What's your feeling? towards Mr. Price, and especially Mr. Price in context of some of the other retailers that you could buy, Nick? Yeah, so, so first and foremost, I mean, they were pr primarily a, uh, you know, an apparel offering and, and sportswear until they bought Yuppie Chef, what is that, a year or two ago, sort of, so it changed their mix a little bit. Um, but overall, I just think y you're right, the last set of earnings wasn't great. Uh, what concerns me is the stock is not cheap, um, and the, the particular sector is... Uh, I guess in, in a rising interest rate environment, in an inflationary environment, and a, a consumer that's clearly a little bit under pressure, um, you've got to be careful with shares like this. Uh, in context of the other retailers um, out there, you mentioned uh, you know the likes of you know the likes of Shoprite, uh, for example, even Pick and Pay, you know, alluding to the fact of of the cost of load shedding in the generators, which is going to impact them severely. And I don't think Mr. Price is far behind either. Mm. You know, they've got to make provisions for running those generators. So I, I think the whole sector is going to be a little bit on the back foot until we see a pause from our SARP and interest rates, um, and, and Mr. Price in particular, even though it is maybe nicely positioned with an LSM group, just be a little bit cautious there. I'd, I'd say I wouldn't rush into the share, my personal view.
Graham, what's your thinking um, with regards to Mr. Price? Because, uh, I mean, I totally hear Nick's arguments, but if the shares have done what they've done in the last year, which is fall, are they now actually maybe worth looking at uh, whereas they weren't, say, six or 12 months ago? Um, I think for, for me, uh, particularly in the current environment, you, you know, you really have to look at the underlying company. So, you know, if we were to dissect Mr. Price, it's very much on the value end of the um, of the retail spectrum. Um, they have, as, as Nick said, they have tried to sort of diversify into, you know, uh, higher LSMs and, 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 and higher margin businesses. But at its core, it's a, a value brand offering. Um, and you've seen in the last while, you know, uh, Pick and Pay, for example, is getting more into that. Um, you know, the likes of uh, Fushini Group and others have also, they're sort of building a portfolio at the lower end of the market. So um, my, my personal sense is that at the low end of the market, obviously people will be trading down, but there's a lot of com competition there. Um, and I think the diversity of brands actually works well. So, you know, when I look at uh, the forecasts to March, which are you know not too far from now, uh, markets looking for mildly better earnings than, a, a, you know, March 22. Of course, that had its fair share of disruptions and riots and all sorts of things. So I think that tells you that, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because I think in, in Mr. Price's world, it's more a volume game. Obviously, they did get a little bit of pricing um, in, in the more recent results. But I would rather actually be in something like a, a, a TFG, for example, where, um, the rating is slightly lower. I think they've got more uh, levers that they can pull. Um, yeah, so I think you, you my, my sense is, I wouldn't say Mr. Price has lost its mojo, but I think it's become a very, very competitive end mm. of the market. And um, it's going to be difficult to defend that market share. So I would rather personally um, look at something like TFG, where I think They've been doing some very, very good things over a period of time. And of course, you get some international operations that we also think are very, very well run. So yeah. I'd rather pick something other than uh, Mr. Price for the sector. I mean, and, and actually, we, we spoke to a couple of analysts in the Financial Mail uh, in the last week who suggested that credit retailers are actually what you should be backing now. It seems, um, it, it seems at odds with um, a rising interest rate environment. But they were saying because people are under pressure, they're might be more inclined to buy on credit because it's the only way they can buy. And it's the credit retailers who know the game really well. They've gone through all the cycles. Whereas it's the cash retailers who actually struggle at granting credit because they don't have as fine a feel mm. for it because they are cash-based retailers. I don't know if you subscribe to that view. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely some argument to that, whether it's morally right or not. <laughs> sure, But sure. Uh, uh, I, I, would, I would agree with that, I definitely, yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on from the retailers, um, well, I suppose it's a different kind of retail. It's sort of food, um, restaurant retail. Um, and the question is, which is the more prospective buy for 2023, Spur, Corporation, or Famous Brands? Um, Nick, sticking with you, what do you think? If you had to pick. Yeah, I think I had to pick. I, I look, the Spur, oh, was it the trading update? All the results that came out recently on Spur, I can't remember. Uh, it just came out last week. Uh, I, actually, I'm leaning more towards famous brands. Uh, I think it's a little bit better in their portfolio of, of, the, of the LS group that I sort of follow. Um, and I, I think they offer a, a bit more bit more components. Yeah, there's a Spur group chart, 2320. It's not very exciting. Also, uh, not 
particularly liquid. It, well, that is half the problem. I, and, I, and I speak from, a, from an asset management sort of hat on. You know, liquidity in some of these shares are quite thin and, and spur is, is difficult. Uh, it really is difficult to get a decent line of stock. So, which again spurs my decision. Spurs my decision to go more for famous brands. I was terrible. Yeah, well, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> we, are, we are the home of the dreadful pun. Uh, Graham Kerner is on the show. So, Graham, you can chip in there, um, as it were. Um, Graham, um, your thoughts on either spur or famous brands? What would you I think, you know, if you if you asked Nick, myself or anybody over the last 20 or let's say 15 years, which of the two, you know, it would have been a, a, a no brainer for the bulk of those 15 years that you would have gone for famous brands, you know, more energy, diversified model, um, you know, all the, all the good things. But unfortunately, you know, the GBK acquisition and others, um, you know, really were ill-timed and ill-considered, and uh, they're now trying to sort of in, in part rebuild themselves. I think Famous Brands has, has still got a, a really good uh, portfolio. Um, I've also noticed that they've definitely been positioning themselves more towards the value end. Uh, so, you know, if you look, just take a Burger King versus a Spur, uh, uh, sorry, a Steers, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, Burger King would have been quite a bit cheaper um, and steer sort of quite sticky around the prices. That that mindset has definitely shifted. Mm. So I think that stands them them in good stead. But having said that, I get the feeling that um, that you know Spur is is maybe a little bit less exciting. But I think there are a couple of building blocks and there's a slow, slow and steady progression. And I think you know the the, the Rockamamas and a couple of the other sort of higher end brands I think are quite well placed. So. I think famous brands, after being, you know, um, massively marked down, obviously has got quite a lot of recovery potential. Spur hasn't fallen um, quite as much, but my my instinct is, if you if you are more aggressive, you would probably go for famous brands. It sounds a bit crazy, and if you're a little bit more conservative, um, I think Spur. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I, I think both of them are, are good businesses and both of them, if the tide comes in from an economy point of view, will, will benefit. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then two sort of slightly more speculative companies, Renogen mm. and Datatech. Okay, well, Datatech, no, no, sorry, not speculative, <laughs> but Datatech um, has been maybe a, a, a frustratingly listed company for a very long time. But the question on Renogen is, I bought in the mid-30s, 30 rands. Am I being realistic <laughs> in hoping for a f price recovery moving forwards? Nick, um, what do you think? And, and especially in light of mm. the capital that they have to raise and, and the slightly strange way they seem to be going about it. For example, last week they raised a bit of money, but it was a really little bit of money, yeah, which seemed a bit odd. 100, 100 million rand or 100 million dollars. But on the scale of things, quite small, what they need to raise. Yeah. So, I mean, Renogen, let's, let's start by saying I think there's, there's, there's two parts to the story, and, and it, there's also two parts to the capital raising they need to do as well. So, there's the, the good story that, that what they've discovered is. is is really impressive and it's it's one of the largest uh, on we all know the story largest online sort of uh, helium deposits in the world um, which is brilliant the problem they've got is uh, is often the curse with 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 Africa is is first of all getting it out the ground at what cost and secondly getting it to where it's needed uh, in particular helium used a lot in space exploration and rocket boosters and all the rest of it so it kind of needs to get to California to be quite honest uh, and moving uh, liquid helium from uh, from Fort in, in the Free State to California is going to be very, very expensive. You have to liquefy it at 200 
I think 200 degrees under uh, Fahrenheit. And it, it's just it's going to be a, com a complicated affair. So that is the background to it, and they're going to need to raise capital to do it. So the first phase is up and running. They managed to sort of get that, that gas out the ground. To, to take it to the next level requires significant capital um, and significant expertise. So yes, to allude to your fact that Bookbill didn't raise a great deal, they're going to need to raise more. I guess the exciting side is rumors have been listening on the NASDAQ. That is positive. It is going to change. There is definitely more a, a larger appetite for speculative um, investments of this nature, and I think probably better received on uh, to a NASDAQ shareholder base, and I'm sure they could raise the funds. But there's a lot of what-ifs um, and possibilities. So, yeah, I like the story. I think it's great. But investment yeah. case uh, and disclosure, I do own some, and our clients yeah. do own some. Um, yeah, you might need to let the dust settle a little bit on this one, but you know, buying around these levels, I don't know. It's not. Uh, I think we've got a fair value as, as a house somewhere around the sort of mid thirties. So kind okay. of. So it, which is kind of where the where it is. Yeah, I mean, I do like as I say, I do like the story, but I think it's it's got a lot to play out. So I'm, I'm hogging. Uh, sorry, uh, Graham. Um, Graham. I understand all that, um, and there's a lot of what ifs, uh, Nick said, but. Surely, if if we want to attract companies to the JSE, we've got to we've got to kind of back their stories without being you know without being um, uh, green greenhorns and sort of wandering uh, foolishly into into situations. You've got to kind of back the stories um, and 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 maybe keep the faith. Or am I sounding too far too um, idealistic um, in terms of of uh, a company such as Renogen on the JSE? I think you should maybe host a show in Canada or, you know, in London or, you know, in New York where people have got a lot more appetite for risk than we do. You know, I mean, if you look at um, the number of companies that are that are delisting, so even, you know, good businesses that have been chugging along for years, we just ignore them. So I, I think as a market, we, we really don't have much risk appetite. And I think companies like Renogen, and you've seen it with, you remember Net One when they went off to to um, to the US to to get their primary listing there, and there have been others. You know, they go over there, they uh, tap into deeper pools of capital where there's a lot more risk appetite. So I think what you're saying is absolutely right. But you know, we can't even get our our, our hearts and stomachs around things like uh, or heads around things like private equity and you mm -hmm. know more venture cap. So I think. I think you're right, but it's unlikely to happen. And I think that, you know, to next point, um, you know, Renogen is going to lead, need a lot of capital. Um, and if you want to tap into big pools of capital, I think that they've got to get that NASDAQ listing. So coming back to the question that the viewer asked, having paid 30 and, it's, you know, it's now sitting at 24, um, you know, the question is, why did you buy them at 30? Um, you know, do you have faith in management? Do you believe that the story if so, then you know you keep your nerve and you you pray that that um, you know some American investors are prepared to put you know higher valuations on this thing and you know fund the the, the critical expansion because I think that's what Nick is saying. Mm. You know the easy work in inverted commas. I don't want to downplay it. Has has almost been done. Now you really need to capitalize this business and start producing. So I think in a way, Renogen is moving from a promise story into a production story. And that's going to take a lot of capital. And I think that's what's what's worrying the market, knowing that they haven't got a very deep balance sheet themselves. Yeah. So I go yeah. back to the viewer and say, why did you buy it? And, uh, you know, stick to your principles there.
But that, of course, is the catch-22 situation. Mm. They need capital to realise their, their, you know, um, their, uh, their full potential, um, and they can only do so by raising it mm. on the market. So, um, so I hope they manage to solve that sort of catch-22 situation. No, but isn't that just just to quickly add? I mean, exactly to Graham's point, that that is exactly what markets are for. Stock markets are for is is to is to raise capital. You list on a marketplace. So. Yeah. And, and you can see it done successfully and well in Australia. I mean, there were so many listings compared to the D listings here. So there mm. is, so there is a maybe a, a, a real pessimism that we have to confront in the South African markets, where we are very downbeat about everything. Um, uh, so something that we also have to look at uh, uh, in terms of ourselves. Mm. Um, what about data tech? Um, and the viewer says, I'm showing a profit on these shares, having held them for more than five years. Should I not sell and move into something such as uh, Satrix NASDAQ ETF? Or could there be exciting times ahead for data tech? And should I hold on? Uh, Graham, going back to you uh, very quickly, what, what do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, data tech is, as you say, um, you know, it's it, it's kind of that that forgotten technology stock that they've obviously broken uh, broken it up in large parts, sold pieces off, um, so smaller than it than it was before. But the core businesses are, are trading well. If you look at the forecasts, you know, it's sort of um, you know, it's not let's call it sexy IT. It's more um, equipment and services. Um, yeah, but what you're looking at from a forecast point of view is is relatively solid, even if it's not spectacular earnings growth from from good mature businesses. The question though is is you know how does that compare with something like Microsoft that gives you, I believe, a very similar uh, kind of business model. Um, Obviously, Microsoft, you know, this, this uh, current year is going to be a very difficult one. But if you look through that, so I think that rather than buying a NASDAQ ETF where you get all sorts of funny stuff thrown in, I would, I would look maybe more towards utility type tech because there's some, some very good stuff um, at, that's trading a lot lower than it, it was maybe six months or a year ago. Okay. Um Nick, how about you? I mean, you know, if it were to, okay, so firstly, the choice of a data tech versus a, a NASDAQ mm. um, ETF uh, or, um, or data tech versus a Microsoft, for example. Mm. I mean, I'd, I'd even take a, even a, a further step back and say uh, we're very much in a scenario which is, which is growth versus value. Um, and, and very much intrinsically linked to to the interest rate environment right now. So as soon as as soon as growth uh, comes back into into favour with lower interest rates because uh, they they need more expansion and, and they need cheap capital, the likes of Datatech and Asdaq and Microsoft all fly. Uh, in the current environment, which I think is leading a little bit more by the last couple of weeks, but it's certainly leading more towards back into value. So I think data tech will be a little bit under pressure. Um, if you if you want to just take a, if you don't want to just own a, the, the, the the focused data tech, you want a broader view, by all means go for it for an ASIC ETF. But I think data tech is is certainly got some legs. I think it's it's my personal view is it's probably got more upside here. And uh, as Graham said as well, it's uh, not just linked to to service agreements. It's also got the more of the equipment side. So I think it's okay. I like it. Okay. Uh, then there's a question on Mete. Um I'd appreciate the panel's view on Mete in the medium term. Nick, staying with you, do you have uh, any strong thoughts about Mete? I actually, I actually don't, so apologies to the viewer. I actually don't follow it too closely, so apologies. Uh, Graham, have you, you've had a look at Mete over the past, haven't you? Yeah, we, we have, and it's one of those I sort of, um, in a way, I wanted to buy for, for various reasons. 
Um, I think, you know, it's obviously become a, a, a slightly more difficult environment with supply chain disruptions, remembering that they're not just uh, an SA Inc. business, they're operating in, in, in Eastern Europe um, as well. But, um, you know, I think it's, it, it's a better business than than the, the, the market often gives it credit for. It's one of those that, you know, also only got about two and a half billion rand market cap. Liquidity is not great, but it fits into that, you know, Hudeco, Bell Equipment, Argent, you know, um, one logics kind of stable where eventually I think, um, you know, these companies will be delisted. You've already seen the likes of one logics going that way. I personally believe things like Argent and Meteor and Hudeco may very well go the, the same way. But uh, I haven't looked at them um, particularly in the last sort of three to six months to comment in any degree of detail. But I think it's a, a better business than the market gives it credit for because we're just, you know, so risk intolerant. We'd rather buy the top <laughs> 10 and not get it massively wrong. Yeah. Okay. And what about Omnia? I mean, sorry, I was talking about sort of small and mid caps. Um, the viewer says Omnia has been very disappointing over the last couple of months. Can you see any upward trend? Um, Nick, they had a really, mm. you know, they went through a really, really tough time, raised the capital. They had this 2 billion rand rights issue and then and they stuck to their guns and they planned and they came out of it and they did really well. And now, what do you think? Uh, because, uh, you know, it, it looks as if it's had a very bad run if we consider that mm. it went all the way up to 85 Rand. Um, I don't know what it looks like a, on a five-year basis. I think it probably is still up. Um, is it just uh, we're in kind of the wrong point of the cycle for Omnia right now? No, I also think it's it's quite disappointing because they were getting things right. They raised the capital. I think management did mess this up a little bit in the past, but they did seem to put things right. And I think the right that things were looking up for them as well. I mean, they, the fertilizer prices after Ukraine got invaded uh, went through the absolute roof. So, you know, they obviously benefited quite nicely out of that. Uh, and then also in the space there. And so the mining industry, the fertilizer, space, the explosive, I think that, like the stars really started lining up. So I don't know quite why, there we go, there's a bigger bigger chart. So it's come down from, oh, goodness me, lows of under 20 to where it is now. I mean, guess it has been disappointing and I think you'd probably need uh, that cycle to change a little bit. And, and I think for, for long-term shareholders, I'm a little bit of, uh, I do think there's, there's a lot more to come with this commodity cycle. So I would, I would hang on to it. Um, I think they are doing a lot of things right, and they don't have the, the debt constraints they did a number of years ago outside of the capital raise. So I think it's okay. Graham, I mean, can you give any perspective into why the, the, they've come off the boil the last couple of months? Uh, and do you think it's reason to get nervous, or should you just, as Nick suggests, hang in there? Well, on my screen, I'm looking at a five-year chart, and obviously, you know, from, again, May 2020, it's been on a a slow but steady slope upwards, you know, having recovered from yeah. you know, yeah. 30, 30 bucks. So it, it's doubled from that level. But I think if you look back to early 2022, when there was obviously a bit of excitement, probably fueled, as Nick said, by um, excitement around, you know, the, the, the prices for, um, for some um, agricultural commodities. Um, but the, the, the trend line is looking is looking solid. I mean, just looking at the, the earnings forecasts, it's not sort of, you know, blowing your hair back, but it's pretty it's pretty decent. I think it's a well-run business. I think balance sheet is generally solid now. Um, yeah, so I think the problem is we, we, we just, you know, we, we look at things. We, so if you look back a year, you'd say, oh, man, it's been a real disappointment. But my point is if you look back, 
you know, three years, then it's actually done a whole lot better. And yeah. that's probably the, you know, removing some of the, the, the froth. So I, I think it, it, it's a similar sort of thing to what I was, was saying, um, you know, earlier, that I think it's a, it's a better business than the market gives it credit for. Um, probably also look at looking to do a little bit of work inside the, the, the portfolio. But, you know, it's, uh, it's cash generative, it's well-placed, they've got some, um, you know, some competitive advantages in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. So I think, uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a decent business. It's just one that, you know, is never going to really appear on a lot of people's radar. Okay. Very quickly, for the last minutes, uh, getting to stock picks. Nick, what would you be buying at the moment? So very quickly, same as last week, unfortunately. Uh, well, last time I was on the show, nothing too exciting, but Aspen Pharmacare. Uh, quickly, the reasons behind it, uh, we, we're certainly adopting a little bit more cautious stance at, at Sun and Private Wealth. Uh, Aspen is, is, de- is slightly defensive. It has got its earnings out on the 7th of March, so those some, some viewers might want to wait until earnings come out. Okay. But it's still trading at a at single-digit PE, and uh, pharmaceuticals tend to do reasonably well from a, uh, a defensive point of view. So that, that's the reasonings behind that particular choice. Okay, sticking to your guns. Mm. Uh, Graham, how about you? Yeah, also the call um, that I called a little while ago, which is uh, Cup Industrial. I think it's a very, very well-placed, well-vertically integrated business. I think what's spooking the market is the fact that obviously there's still some headwinds um, in a couple of the businesses, but I think it's more when people look at sort of 70 cents worth of earnings and say, oh, the earnings are going negative. But, you know, if you look at it over a period of time, I think they, they'll deliver solid earnings growth relative to what they were doing a few years ago. So I think it's very well run, good balance sheet, um, you know, really good positioning in things like the PET market. So the fact that, you know, the share price is you know, back at four bucks, I see as an opportunity if they are going to deliver 60 cents worth of earnings. And that's a great dividend play as well. Yeah. And Nick Kunzer will be rooting for Cap as well. Love that <laughs> Thank you, Graham. He's got Aspen. Uh, we shall leave it there. Um, Nick Graham, thanks very much for joining us this evening. Graham Kuhn is from Kerner Perspective. Nick Kunzer is from Sunland Private Wealth. And we'll be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Have a good evening.